0: What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at Joe Orrico 99 and also at BB. Make sure you are checking out Ethos Fantasy BB if you haven't already. That is where you'll get all the new show links, articles, podcasts, polls, everything. Everything that we got on the baseball side, that is the account once again, E-T-H-O-S Fantasy BB. Throw us a follow over there. And if you're not somebody who uses social media, SportsEthos.com is where you'll get everything right from the source. I also will ask, if you haven't done so already, subscribe to the podcast. I mean, I know a lot of people listen to the show every single day, but... A lot of you aren't subscribers. A lot of you will find the show from a link from Twitter, or it gets shared out, or maybe it gets sent through a friend, or whatever it is, but a lot of you who listen to the show, almost half of you aren't actually subscribed, so go ahead and hit that plus button if you're on Apple, or hit the subscribe button on Spotify, or whatever button it is on whatever other platform that you are using, and make sure you get the show into your feed every single day. Uh, It helps you out, makes it a lot easier and more convenient. You don't have to go searching through Twitter for links, and it helps me out because it just keeps the downloads coming in steadily every single day. So help us both out there with the subscription and if you would be so kind a rating and review would also go a long way here in helping the show grow. We have a fun guest coming on the show tomorrow. It's Mike Carter who is our most common guest here on the show. I was taking a look at my spreadsheet yesterday and it'll be Mike's sixth time on the program. We're going to be talking White Sox. We're going to do our White Sox preview. We were supposed to do the Milwaukee Brewers today with Zach Beck from the Dynasty dugout, but we're going to push that one off to next week. The scheduling just didn't really work for today. So we're going to be taking care of that one next week and there's a bunch of team previews over the next couple of weeks. I'm hoping to be done by the first week of March and then, you know, every episode in March at that point is going to be We're looking at real drafts. We're looking at previews. We're looking at rankings. Um, So I want to get the the team previews done by probably the first week of March. And there's probably going to be some weekend shows. The schedule will not be as it usually is leading up to the regular season. There might be a time where I don't do a show on a given day and I'll do three on the next day or something like that. Like, it'll be a bit varied, the schedule, but there's going to be a hell of a lot of content. So make sure you guys are keeping up with everything we got going on. The best way to do that is on social media, of course, through Twitter. But let's start talking about the meat and potatoes, and that would be, to start off today, Jorge Soler. Jorge Soler, this is a couple days old now, but we didn't get to it when it first happened. He signed with the San Francisco Giants a three-year, $42 million deal. I like Jorge Soler, but I also think that he is a very, very risky player to invest in, not not necessarily just from a real-life point of view, but from a fantasy point of view as well. So Jorge Soler's ADP as of now is 163, and I am looking at just January drafts, and that's 15-team drafts where he's going to pick 163. If I go to 12-team drafts, it's 147. In that range, though, let's just generally say 150. That's that's about where the price you're paying for Jorge Soler. I think it's a little pricey. I, I don't know that I have a lot of confidence in, first of all, his health. His health is something that has been on and off for his entire career. He's been playing since 2014 and he has played over 100 games four times. One of them happened to be this year in a contract year where he had 36 home runs. It's funny how that works sometimes, but he was able to stay on the field. He was DHing most of the time, 102 times as a DH, 32 times as a right fielder. My main concern isn't really the production because when Soler is out there, you know you're getting a good on base percentage, good walk rate. Those are always been there, always above 10% walk rate going back to 2016. You know you're getting, you know, probably 20 some odd homers, 70 runs, 70 ribbies, somewhere in that ballpark, assuming he's healthy. But you're also getting a zero in terms of steals, and you're getting a batting average that for his career is two forty-three, and he's also put up seasons that are as low as two oh seven. We've seen seasons that are in the two sixties, but he's a very tough a uh, tough player to project batting average for because he's just kind of all over the place. The only thing you're really sure of is power. Power is the only thing that you know you're getting out of Jorge Soler, assuming that he is healthy. And that is, again, kind of been an iffy question these last couple of years. He kind of alternates healthy and not healthy seasons. He's only played 162 games once, and I know most players don't do that anymore, but it just you're, you're going to have to factor in missed time if you're taking Jorge Soler. Most likely he's not going to be getting into more than 120 or so games it then becomes, well, do you want the production? Do you want what he is going to give you? If you are at a point of your draft where you need more power, where you need a little bit of a boost, you've taken some batting average slash stolen base guys, you've been pitching heavy and you need need to add a power bat, then I don't really have a massive problem with it. But if you're just looking for power, which is essentially what he gives you, I feel like you can wait a little bit longer and you can still get that power. You don't need to be paying a top 150, 140, 130. Who knows where it'll get to, but let's just call it like 140, 150 pick for pretty much just the power category. You want, you want to wait even just 10 picks later, you get Jake Berger sitting right there who plays a more scarce position in third base, and I think that you know, the stat lines are going to probably be very similar. Uh, you, know, you can keep going down the board, and you can find guys like Vinny Pasquantino not going to be the exact same amount of power, but with a much higher batting average floor. You got Max Muncy going up pick 175. There is power that you can find later on in drafts. Reese Hoskins. Uh, you know, I could just keep going down the list. You know, another risky guy, Eloy Jimenez, but Eloy's going about 100 picks later. So you, if you want just the power aspect of it, you can wait on that. You don't need to be saying Jorge Soler is a top 150 player because of X, Y, and Z because he's not. Is really just the X there. There's only one thing, and it is the power. And if Jorge Soler, you know, he's kind of a volume guy. The years where he has been really productive, 2019, he played 162 games, and it also happened to be, you know, the happy fun ball season. He had 48 homers, drove in 117. A lot of that is volume-based, though. You know, in the seasons where he is playing over 100 games, especially recently, because he did it in 2015, he was still, you know, developing at that point, whatever – but in the last five years, the three seasons where he's played over 100 games, those have been the productive ones. It's very simple, but it's just you know basic math. If you're not playing enough, if you're not getting out there enough consistently, you're not going to have fantasy value. Solaire is somebody where he could easily play 135 games again as a DH only or predominantly as a DH. I don't think it's impossible to expect 120, 130 games out of him, but do you even want what the production is going to look like considering the draft price? He's a three-category guy, potentially – Maybe like a two plus category guy because that San Francisco lineup, it's not great. Like it's it's fine, but there's really not a hell of a lot here. And the ballpark is also somewhat of a factor. You know, Jorge Soler's power will play anywhere. Uh, that's not a big concern to me, but you may lose a couple of home runs in San Francisco. People have been putting his previous season's home runs, you know, the stat cast features where you can take home runs and put them in different ballparks and see if it would have been out at Fenway versus at Comerica versus the Coliseum or whatever, and you can kind of do that overlay. You know, his home runs, all of them, for the past three years would have left San Francisco. That doesn't mean that he won't lose one or two potentially next season. It just we can look at previous data all we want. We don't know what's going to happen this coming season, which is why, like, as much as I am a projections guy, sometimes you have to kind of just use your own noggin a little bit and say he might miss out on a couple of home runs because of the dimensions of that park. He might also be the first right-handed hitter to ever hit a ball into McCovey Cove in right field in San Francisco there. It's amazingly never been done. He has that kind of power, but don't be looking at Jorge Soler and say, I'm getting 35 home runs. This is a guaranteed 35 home runs in my lineup. If everything breaks right for him, then potentially it is. But there's also a chance that Jorge Soler plays 100 games, hits 18 home runs. It's not a great season for him. He's not a recession-proof type of player. He's not one of those guys where you. You're very, very, very sure of the outcome coming into the season. If you just look at his player page, every year is a different story. It might be 27 homers. It might be 13. It might be 36. It could be 48. We're not getting 48 again, but that's just the variance of the last five years. He has a number in the single digits. He has a number in the 10s. He has a number in the 20s. He has a number in the 30s, and he has a number in the 40s. Over the last five years, there is no consistency. And if you are somebody who likes consistency or at least a safe floor, which essentially they are the same thing, I don't know if Jorge Soler is the guy for you, especially with the potential for him to be bumped up around or so, just because that's the nature of the game we play. When somebody's name is in the news, it's very exciting. When there's a trade, this team wants him. San Francisco wants him. I should want him too. I should push him up around. We make those mistakes sometimes, artificially inflating value because of things like that that don't really matter. I think that Jorge Soler is not a very safe player this year. I think that I'm I'm glad my Blue Jays did not sign him because that was a talking point all off season. Blue Jays should sign Soler, and they'll be fine, and they'll be fine. There's not a lot of security there. There's really not. It's not a huge investment for San Francisco, so it's not like this is going to blow up in their face, you know, Rendon style or something. It's a small investment, but I just think we have to keep our expectations in check for Soler. Health is the main thing. If Jorge Soler is able to play 130 games again, I don't have a huge problem with that kind of draft capital, 150, 160. That's probably where he should be going if we knew he was going to be safe the whole year but we just do not have that security at this point that he is going to be safe. So I'm kind of fading him at this point. Let's move on, though. Let's talk about the news from today. And this one was not great. We don't love to see this. Justin Verlander is behind in his spring buildup due to a shoulder issue. This is not good. When he first started playing catch, oh, this is a quote from Verlander. When I first started playing catch, I usually shut it down for a while. And this time, when I shut it down and picked the ball back up, my shoulder didn't feel so great. So I kind of had to take a step back. This is... Worst case scenario, probably, for a guy like Justin Verlander, we're not talking about a spring chicken. He's about to be 41 years old. We're talking about somebody who's already kind of been declining for the last couple of years. And I know I know that 2022 was an, an insane year for Verlander. It was maybe the best year of his entire career. Won the Cy Young, very, very deservingly, World Series. Just an incredible season, a 175 ERA. But he did not deserve that season if you look at the supporting metrics. It was a very, very lucky season for Justin Verlander. The strikeout rates have come down for him. He was stranding a lot of base runners. The Babbitt was very low. It was just not something that you can expect to carry over, and it didn't carry over into 2023. We saw fewer innings. We saw fewer strikeouts. We saw more walks, and we saw that ERA go up. And along with the ERA, we saw the supporting metrics all rise with it. You know, 322 ERA on the surface is really damn good. It's amazing. 322 ERA, there are not many players who are even capable of doing that. But the XFIP was 456. His FIP was 385. The XERA was 369. And his Sierra was 443. Those, and you're not familiar with those, and I have realized that sometimes I'll throw those out and some people might not be familiar. Those are ERA estimators based on various different factors. Some of them include stat cast numbers. Some of them are more... Strikeout minus walk base, looking at home run totals. Uh, there's various different formulas that go into it. You can you can find them online. I'm not going to get into every single XFit formula. And that there, it would be, be here for all you know, days and days on end talking about it. But essentially, they just try and tell you is what you're seeing real. You know, you see a three ERA. If the Sierra's you know four fifty five, that three ERA is probably not terribly real or sustainable. And as Verlander gets older, and that strikeout rate keeps dipping and My God, has it ever dipped? If you look back to 2019 until now, we've gone from 35 to 33 to 27 to 21% on the strikeout rate. The walk rate has gone from 4.4 to 6.7 over the last couple of years. It was fairly stable in the years before that 4.4, 5, 4.8. His tenure in Houston was just absolutely absurd. But now, I mean, leaving Houston, coming back to Houston, I'm talking about that initial stretch in Houston there from 2018 to 2022, just an absurd four-year stretch. But now I think we have to kind of come to terms with the fact that Verlander is not Verlander anymore. And if you are drafting Verlander expecting Verlander, you're probably going to be disappointed. There is the caveat that with a player of Verlander's caliber, we're talking generational talent. We're talking somebody who is going to the Hall of Fame on the first try. We're talking multiple World Series, multiple Cy Youngs. Like There's just an unimpeachable resume. And when it does come to a player like that who is kind of a unicorn, we overuse the term unicorn, but Verlander is one of the greatest pitchers of all time. And certainly in this era, he, he may go down as the best. Him or Clayton Kershaw, it's going to be one or the other. With those type of players, sometimes you have to say, we don't really know what the hell we're talking about because these guys can come back from injuries quicker occasionally. Like, who would have ever thought that Verlander would come off of his Tommy John surgery a couple years ago and then at age 40, just have, or 39, have one of the greatest pitching seasons of the century? It really was. 18-4 and with a one seven five ERA, the Cy Young, the World Series. It was an incredible season. That was already him showing us you guys don't know who I am. You don't know what you're talking about. I am not like the average player you evaluate. And that is definitely fair. The Verlanders of the world, the Scherzers, the Kershaws, these guys are of a different ilk than most players we talk about. So you can't analyze them the exact same way you would the other players, in my opinion. You have to kind of look at it from the lens of these guys can do unpredictable things. Verlander Verlander won another Cy Young this year. I wouldn't be shocked by it. And like, I, I, as much as it would surprise me, if Verlander gave you a two, six ERA this year, one seventeen 17 games, you know, they won the division, et cetera, et cetera. I can't say I'd be shocked by it, but based on what we've seen over the last couple of years, especially with the strikeouts coming down as dramatically as they have and the walks, really ballooning for a guy like Verlander. I mean, 6.7% is still incredible, but when you have the strikeout rate falling and the walk rate rising, you're looking at a almost 10% drop in strikeout minus walk rate from last year to this year. You're also looking at a 1.13 whip, which I I know we're looking at him in a different lens. Most people a 1.13 whip is unbelievably good, but you look back at the previous few years in his Houston tenure, 0.9, 0.8, 0.67, and 0.83. I know it sounds like I'm making those numbers up. Those are his whips throughout his Houston tenure now to go to 1.13 and then be projected for about 1.2 ish, it doesn't bode well for people who are taking Justin Verlander where they have been taking him, and that's pretty expensive at this point. 113. I mean, 113. I know we we hear that number and we're like, well, 113. You know, it's like tenth round. What's the big problem there? It's not expensive. There's not a lot going into it if he's my third starting pitcher. But there are still so many valuable players on the board in that range, right? You're not talking about five hundred and seventy five you're talking about you're taking him you're taking him over Sonny Gray you're taking him over Tanner Bybee you're taking him over potentially you know Seiya Suzuki and Spencer Steer Xander Bogart Spencer Torkelson Hunter Green it's not a nothing area of the draft you're still building out the foundations of your team especially in a 15 teamer that pick is even more important if you're taking Verlander at pick 113 because at that point like round seven round eight you're probably taking him and he's probably your second starting pitcher it's just too risky for me at this point right like is there still potential for Verlander to just light the world on fire have one more great year yeah but I think it's more likely that at age 41 um, you know he's going to be 41 in a couple days actually later this week it's more likely than not that we do see him continue to decline and at that rate I don't want him on my team as my second starting pitcher. That you know that whole analysis doesn't even include the fact that he's now going to be behind in his working out because of the shoulder problem. So will he come into the season as, you know, will he start opening day? I have no idea. I have no idea at this point. I would wager probably not. I'd wager that they don't feel the need to rush Verlander in the regular season because they know they're going to be a good team. Is it going to be 90 wins, 94, 89, 102? I don't know. They don't know. But they know they're going to be a good team. There's no need to push Justin Verlander in April or in March. They're going to want to push him if they're going to in September, October. So it wouldn't surprise me at all to see him start the season on the shelf or maybe not necessarily hitting the IL, but just a little bit of a slow roll to the season and he doesn't get going until the middle of April or something, which at that point they might as well just IL him. But it doesn't make me want to draft him. The price will go down, and it'll be interesting to monitor over the next couple of weeks where the price goes for Justin Verlander because it will go down. Will it go down enough that you can actually take a share and be happy with it is a whole other question. And for me at that point, it, it, you probably got to be looking at like a 100-pick drop for me to really want to take a shot at him. If he's going to pick 200 or so, then that's where I'd probably be interested. But if we're seeing him only fall to like 140, 150, that's still foundational pieces of your draft at that point, and I don't know that I want Justin Verlander as my – second or even third starting pitcher in a year where we might just see him be cooked. He might be done. We have to accept that. He might be done. And even though I don't necessarily, like I wouldn't project them to just be completely done at this point, it's definitely in the range of outcomes. And I I don't want that for my second or third starting pitcher. The last piece of news to touch on today is also Astros related. And this one is kind of something that we figured was going to happen, but We didn't really know. We had no idea for sure um, what was going to happen with Josh Hader and the entire closing committee. I don't want to even use the word committee, but the entire back end of that bullpen. Well, they have said today, uh, new manager Joe Espada, said that Josh Hader will close and Ryan Presley will be the setup man. This is probably what we were expecting. That's what I was expecting. But you also got to consider the fact that Ryan Presley and even Brian Abreu are still probably you know, based on stuff and based on advanced metrics, at least as good, at least as good as Josh Hader is. So there was some question in my mind about, is this actually going to be what we see? Like, is Josh Hader going to be the full-time closer? Is it going to be more of a committee? What's the deal? And now at least we have some clarity from the management, from management that it is going to be Hader. They've met with both of them. Both guys are okay with their role. And that seems to be that now, the question for Brian, for Ryan Presley at this point becomes, is he worth anything? I think he is. I think that Ryan Presley is still worth a shot in whatever size league you're in, to be honest. Like, I've, I've been on the train for a few years now, and it, honestly, it was Andres Munoz a couple years ago that maybe really fall in love with this, is that you don't need to be the full-time closer for your team in order to have value as a reliever. You can be a guy like Presley who is... Going to be in some probably lower leverage situations at this 7th, 8th inning versus ninth. I mean, he'll get the ninth still. He will still get opportunities to close. It won't be 100% hater. It never is for any team. If there's three right-handed batters coming up in the ninth inning, then I think there's a good chance Ryan Presley still gets a chance. But even as a setup man, I think there is pretty decent value you can get out of him, especially with the depressed price. So you're still getting really good strikeout numbers. They're not as good as they once were, but 27 28% strikeout rate, only a 6% walk rate. Presley is one of the rare closers that doesn't throw the ball all over the place and doesn't walk 10% of batters. He's got good control, and that is a part of what leads to a really good whip from him year in and year out. The last three seasons, 0.97, 0.89, and one zero seven. Good strikeouts, good team context, the odds save here and there. The fact that his ERAs are always you know, under 3.5, 3.6, and the supporting metrics are actually even a little bit better. 3.58 ERA this year, he had a 3.14 XFIP. Last year was 2.98 on the ERA and a 2.21 XFIP. The Sierras are still really good at 2.99 and 2.14, 2.42 the last three years. He's still a, an excellent pitcher. Now he's not going to be able to get you the same number of saves and wins, but you're probably still getting about 60 appearances. You're probably going to be looking at 70, 75 strikeouts with probably three or four wins and maybe five to seven saves. In your shallowest of shallow leagues, your 10-team leagues, there's not a lot of value in that. As you get into 12-team leagues and beyond, I think there's a lot of value in that, personally. And you, know, you can even argue in specific 10-team leagues if the rosters are deep enough, you could, you could make the case. But would you rather stream a pitcher for the week who you're thinking, ah, oh, you know, it's, he's got one, you know, let's call it a two-star pitcher. He's got one good start and one kind of iffy one. Are you going to be starting that guy necessarily, or would you rather start a reliever in Presley who's, you know, or not even just Presley, but just any high leverage reliever? Would you rather start one of those guys who's only going to throw probably four or five innings during the week, maybe three or four, but the blowup factor is much, much lower. Brian Presley pitching three random innings here and there I would argue, has a much lower blow-up factor than if you're going to two-start you know, Tyler Anderson or, or whoever it is that you're picking up and hoping for one good start and one that's not so bad. Ryan Presley or even Brian Abreu are, I think, viable options in 12-team leagues because they can be somebody who is going to bring your ratios down consistently. Even if it's not going to be like low twos, if it's somewhere in the high twos, low threes, and that's five innings every week with seven strikeouts, the odd win and save you'd be shocked at how much value there is in that type of player. You don't, exp- you don't think about it, because in our brains, like relievers need to close in order to have fantasy value. If you're not getting saves, then they're wasting time. And that can be true, but it doesn't have to be true, especially when there's a high strikeout rate in great team context. And you get both of those with Ryan Presley. His price before was obviously, like, if you took him there, then he's not living up to that top 180p. His ADP for all of draft season right now is 146, and it has come down dramatically since Josh Hader signed. Now you're getting him in some drafts as late as 459. That is the maximum pick. If you look at the, the general scatter plot over the last few weeks 220, 313, 312, you're seeing him go as high as, I think, what was it, 130, 115 uh, seems to be the highest that he's gone in the last couple of weeks. That's still too high. Like that's, For me, Like I just said I wouldn't want to take Verlander because of risk and volume and whatnot. I can't justify taking Presley, who's you know, going to throw 60 innings this year in that spot, and there's not going to be a massive save opportunity for him. It's going to be five or seven. But his ADP, if you look at February drafts, and I'm currently looking at 12-teamers, he's going in two twenty. I picked 225. If you are looking at 15-teamers, he's going to pick 280. I feel like in that range anywhere, it's not going to hurt you. It's not going to be one of those, like, oh, fuck. Like, it's a it's a terrible pick. It ruined my year, whatever. Like, no, it's not. If anything, it actually could save your year if you took a couple of risky arms in the first couple rounds that are, you know, you like the skills, but the ERA might not end up being what we hope. Like a Cole Reagans. As much as I like Cole Reagans, he might have a 4-7 ERA. You know, Tariq Skubal had a great second half last year. He could have a 4-3 ERA, and we wouldn't be shocked by it. Taking a guy like Ryan Presley, who can kind of stabilize the ratios while adding in extras. It's not just ratios. There's some strikeouts, and there's potential for five categories there. Low level on the wins and saves, but still contributing everywhere. I think that that makes a lot of sense in quite a few different builds. I don't think there's any build that would preclude you from taking Ryan Presley, unless you've taken Hayter and Williams and Jordan Romano and four other guys. Then I think that you don't need him, but... I think a lot of cases he does make sense here as like a, a third or fourth relief pitcher to have. And in a draft champions, I mean, if something happens to Hater, it's right back to Presley. So there's a lot of avenues for this to be a really nice pick, I think, uh, in the Ryan Presley front. But that'll do it. That'll do it for us today. Like I said off the top, we are going to be joined by Mike Carter for the sixth time. Mike has been here six times uh, as of tomorrow. It's crazy to think about. But he's one of my best friends in the fantasy industry. It's always great to catch up with him. He's a great dude as well. If you've missed any of his work, then you're going to want to check out tomorrow's show as well. Um, White Sox preview, that one will be posted tomorrow evening. So be on the lookout for that one. There will also be a YouTube video. And I should remind you guys... I've been putting a lot of these podcasts out on YouTube. Now, when I do a solo show, I haven't been. But when I've been bringing on a guest, or even if I've done a solo mock drafts, those have all been put out on YouTube. Uh, so go ahead and check those out over there. I'll tweet something out about the YouTube stuff today or tomorrow, just so more people can see the links. But a lot of people do like to consume stuff on the video side as well. So that's why I've been putting out more stuff on YouTube. The same content, just you know, across the multiple platforms. Nothing really different. The odd graphic or two. But um, if you want to consume the video, that's YouTube and Sports Ethos on YouTube. And you can check me out if you have any questions, any whatever you got, questions, comments, concerns, Joe JoeOrico99. That's my Twitter. And Ethos Fantasy BB is the company page. Guys, that'll do it again tomorrow. We are talking White Sox with Mike Carter. But until then, have a great night. We will see you tomorrow.